Welcome to WorkCheck, an original podcast from Atlassian, where we take everyday workplace practices and debate if they're actually working for us. And today we're asking, should you really wear pajamas to a remote work meeting? No. <laughs> Last year, a study from Zoom revealed that 41% of users admit to wearing a nice top paired with pajamas on the bottom to a meeting. And that said, should we reevaluate what we wear to work? I'm your host and judge, Christine De La Rosa, whose friends would call her fashion style pajama chic. <laughs> <laughs> Joining me today to defend pajamas on Zoom, we have Marin Hotvet, who tells me her most expensive pair of shoes are a pair of luxurious slippers. Thanks, Christine. Excited to be here. And of course, I'm wearing those slippers. Nice. <laughs> and debating Marin today... Arguing against pajamas on the Zoom call is Dominique Ward, who tells me she's worn the same red lipstick nearly every day for over 10 years. Thanks, Christine. And today I'm dressed for the occasion. Of course you are. Our first debate of the season. Exciting. Ooh. Let's begin. As your judge, I'm looking to hear your most compelling evidence and strongest counters to your opponent's points. Now. I know you each have an expert guest in your corner, so you can drop their testimony whenever you see fit. And at the end, based on what I hear today, I'll declare a winner. Dun, dun, dun. To kick us off, let's hear from the pro PJ side. Marin, tell us why pajamas are acceptable to wear to a work Zoom meeting. Thanks, Christine. I actually want to start with a little bit of a poll. Okay. So right now... I'm wearing what I would describe as a gray waffle weave, loose fit Henley shirt. And I'm curious, Christine and Dominique, is this pajamas? I don't know some of those words that you just said, but <laughs> uh, I don't know. Did you sleep in them? I've been known to. Then yes, I think so. I agree. Okay. Interesting. Well, I've also been known to wear this shirt about once a week in Zoom meetings. So my first point is really that the lines between fashion, loungewear, and pajamas are really blurred today, especially in the context of Zoom meetings and remote work. Mm. Yeah, and some pajamas are even nicer, honestly, than work clothes. Mary-Kate and Ashley's luxury label sells this beautiful three-piece silk set of pajamas that retails for $3,400. And personally, if I spent $3,400 on any piece of clothing, which I have not, including my wedding dress, <laughs> you definitely bet that I would want to be showing that off. Getting back to this point of like this being a fuzzy line, I want to talk a little bit about the history of pajamas. So the word pajama comes from the Hindi pyjama, which means leg clothing. And originally, pajamas were just loose, lightweight silk or cotton trousers, sometimes with a shirt that were worn for lounging at home. I think this is a critical point because, especially with so many of us working from home today, mm -hmm. the reality is we need to be more flexible with our idea of what is work appropriate. 
recently my husband had a meeting that was at 1130 at night, which isn't, you know, totally typical. Right. But we go to bed at 930, um, <laughs> which I, I know, I know. No, totally OK. We get up early. We like sleep. Um, I'm in that club. I think we all are after 30. Um, but anyway, I digress. Um, so this meeting was at 1130. We go to bed at 930. So rather than wait up, you know, he literally went to sleep woke back up for the meeting and then went back to sleep. So he stayed in his pajamas the whole time. And I don't think anybody noticed because <laughs> pajamas are just a T-shirt and shorts and you can't tell what what's a work T-shirt, what's a sleep T-shirt, like what's really yeah. the difference here these days? <laughs> well, I thought that was an excellent opener, Marin. But Dominique, do I do I hear a rebuttal coming? Uh, I would decline the meeting, but that's not a hero there. <laughs> Listen, absolutely. The lines between work and life are getting blurry. Mm-hmm. We're working from bedrooms, from closets, and it's really hard to make that separation. But the right clothing can actually help us set some boundaries. Work is work. And virtual or not, this is still work. We're not hanging out on your sofa or watching a movie in your bed. Your boxers, your silks, your holy vintage dinosaurs tee that says not the mama on the front <laughs> has no place in the workplace, <laughs> even if that workplace is in the metaverse. Getting dressed for work can mark the start of the workday, just as a commute on the Manhattan-bound C train once was. For me, my morning commute now looks like putting on a pair of pleated pants and some lipstick. It helps me set that boundary. Mm. There's a reason dress for success is a common idiom. How we show up matters. And to back that up, I'd like to bring in my guest, Dr. Regan Gurung. He's a professor of social psychology at Oregon State University. He studies the psychology of clothing. Very often, we perform better when we are wearing the clothing that the job requires. And there's an area of research referred to as enclothed cognition. And the enclothed cognition research basically says that clothing serves both a symbolic function, but also a physical function. So, for example, a doctor wearing a lab coat. He's referring to a study where researchers compared how doctors performed tasks when they were and were not wearing a lab coat. So in this study, this is Galinsky and colleagues, what they did was they tested people's performance. And when they were actually wearing that lab coat, they paid more attention. They made fewer errors on a task. Just wearing that lab coat actually changed performance. So whether we recognize it or not, our sartorial choices have meaning, and that meaning influences our confidence, our focus, or even our ability to think abstractly. Mm. If I'm wearing my suit, I'm ready to make deals. If I'm wearing pajamas, I'm ready for bed. That's so interesting. It seems like for those that are used to being more formal and associating that with office work, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But there's also the flip side for people who are more like me, who just feel more comfortable and relaxed in less businessy attire. So what about what about those folks? Well, I'm not saying that we all need to dress formally. I think we should dress for what's appropriate for the job that we're doing and whatever we associate that clothing with. I doubt that everyone associates pajamas with the doing work. Interesting. Marin, what have you got? Oh, there's a lot to unpack here. I'm really curious, though. Uh, when's the last time either of you wore a suit to work? Uh, just three weeks ago. I have a nice dusty rose suit that I wear. In fact, I'm looking at it right now. Okay, okay. 
Christine. <laughs> PJ Chic. I was trying really hard to think back to, I think, I think for my last interview, which is generally the only time that I wear suits, and it is the same one that I've worn to every interview I've had in the last 15 years. Yeah, I think I'm the same. I don't even own a suit anymore. <laughs> to be fair, I could up my game a bit based on what I'm hearing from Dominique. Unless, Marin, unless you disagree and have a counter-argument. So... First of all, I, I have uh, familiarized myself with the study that Regan mentions on lab coats. And I have a lot of a lot of thoughts, not unscientific, but a lot of thoughts nevertheless. The first is that I find it very ironic that they're talking about a profession where the rest of the outfit is scrubs, which I personally <laughs> see as loose trousers and a loose top, a.k.a. pajamas. Um <laughs> Think about it. Looking at a, a bit of a more scientific answer, there's also evidence that when people are able to wear the clothes that they're comfortable and confident in, morale is higher. And research ties comfort to better ability to think and learn. High heels are a perfect example to me of restrictive and uncomfortable professional attire that, you know, women are in some professions like law you know, forced to wear to fit in. But is that really making them better employees? Is that really, you know, making them feel like they're going to win the case? Or is it just making them uncomfortable? It's it's not only women, too, that, that suffer from this kind of pinched toe effect. Uh, I found an example from all the way back in Abraham Lincoln. He had hard-to-fit size 14 feet wow. and really struggled with foot pain and one of uh, one of the things he was known to say frequently is, you know, when my feet hurt, I just can't think. And so this to me is kind of this fine line between what is professional and what makes you feel confident and what is comfortable. Do they really have to be at odds with one another or are there now options in today's society that can suit both needs? That is a great question that I'd love the answer to. Dominique, do you have one? <laughs> I think it's a big leap to go from pinched toes and high heels to attire meant for bed. Hmm. There's a happy medium somewhere. And I think that you can be comfortable in clothes that don't involve piping and bad satin. <laughs> Presumably, when you were going to the office before, you were also wearing comfortable clothes. Obviously, that is not the case for all professions. But just because we're at home doesn't mean we need to descend more into absolute loungewear. No, that's, that's true. Now, if that's settled, I'd like to move on to my next point, which is about perception. The way we dress is our way of communicating our identity and how we want people to perceive us. And for many women, and particularly people of color, the signals of your clothing are even more important. And without going too far into respectability politics, it's important to remember stereotypes and unconscious bias are often hard at work here, meaning other people's perception of what you wear and how you wear it feed into the perception of how educated you are, whether you're ready, hmm. and actually whether or not you're suited for a job. I feel that. In fact, Regan and a student of his recently did a study looking at how clothing affects how Asian American women are perceived. Clearly, this resonates with me 
Please, please tell me how people perceive Asian American women. <laughs> Here's Regan. We compared Asian American women and white women, and we varied whether the women were wearing business clothes or casual clothes. And we measured how they were perceived. You know, were they objectified? Or did they show strong personal characteristics? Were they shown to be competent? And so on. And in this particular study, because we were really interested specifically in alleviating or diffusing Asian American stereotypes, we used the research on stereotyping to say, what are ways that Asian women are regularly seen in the media? Very often, there are these stereotypes as Asian women as quiet we could see that by tweaking what outfit they were wearing, we could change how quiet they were seemed to be. So we could actually reduce the stereotype of shy, quiet Asian woman by changing what, what outfit they wore. The business clothing led to these women being rated way better than if they were wearing the casual clothing. Oof, I do like to rebel against the stereotype, but... I guess dressing casually might not work in my favor the way I thought. Yeah, but listen, the point here isn't women, watch what you wear, but rather that what we wear isn't as simple as just be comfortable, especially for women and people of color. We are swimming in a sea of bias and our clothing is, for better or worse, a tool we can use, lest it be used against us. Mm. When I show up dressed and ready to go in my pleats and red lip, not only do I feel ready to make deals, people perceive me to be ready to make those deals. Great point. Doesn't just affect us, but the people that we interact with. Absolutely. Now, Marin, how do you respond to this idea? Dominique, I am so glad that you brought up this idea of perception. Yeah. <laughs> Clothing is, and kind of always has been, a huge source of bias, as we've seen reflected in dress codes throughout history. To help me unpack how fashion has evolved and how this is a much larger trend, I want to bring in my guest. Deirdre Clemente is a professor at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, whose work is focused on the history of American fashion. We had a great chat about the history of controlling what we wear to work and where that's headed in the future. So I'm going to play a chunk of our conversation for you guys now. In your role as a fashion historian, as a professor, how do you dress um, for Zoom calls, especially when working from home? Well, I would certainly say that my wardrobe personally is indicative of the wider changes in the American wardrobe. I do wear a lot of athleisure. You know, academics aren't exactly the most known for their fashion sense. <laughs> what about on the feet? I'm curious. Uh, I honestly, I wear my Uggs pretty much 24 hours a day. Okay. Okay. So we're in a moment of casualness in what we wear to work. Um, can you contextualize this for us within the larger historical trend and sort of the trajectory of workwear? Well, the history of American workwear is really something that was regulated by the actual workplace and has remained regulated by the workplace. I think when you look at sort of the larger trajectory of office wear in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, you're really seeing a pushback on human resources-derived rules. In the 70s, there's a lot of hubbub in offices about women having to wear pantyhose. But in the 80s, in Silicon Valley, you really start to see this conversation about revisiting the idea of, quote-unquote, appropriate workwear. 
I think we're both in agreement that clothing has gotten far more casual, you know, over the last century plus. And I'm curious what the reactions have been and what it was that they were worried about. From a historical perspective, dress codes and people that enforced or endorsed dress codes, uh, the old guard often comments and they say, oh, we're worried about women's morality. Everybody looks like they rolled out of bed. I mean, it's the same story in the 1920s, 1950s, as it is today when people get all wigged out about the rise of casual dress in the workplace. And this like love of nostalgia. When I was your age, we always wore a blank blank and a blah, blah. It's like, yeah, guess what? Times change. Clothing's a representation of change. I mean, women in pants, you thought the world was coming to an end. Like, who do they think they are? Or why do they have to look so ugly? Why do they want men's clothes when they look so pretty in skirts? But only if they have pantyhose. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I mean, historically, dress codes have been rooted in controlling both women and the, the clothing of people of color. I have to say I see very little value in dress codes. You know, it's ways that the old guard tries to push back on change. And like, I'm a cultural historian, man. Like, that never works out well. How has the pandemic kind of accelerated or changed trends? What is basically the COVID effect on our wardrobes and what is appropriate? If you look at historical precedent, social upheaval really speeds into real life, uh, things that were sort of percolating on the side, right? Let's take women in short skirts in the 1920s, right? The hemline had been rising for three, four, five years before it really jumps in the context of the post-World War I fashion scene. So social upheaval as a means of spurring fashion change is absolutely fundamentally the way that the fashion system works. Now, what will be interesting to realize for most people is that in those examples that history gives us, things don't go back to the way they were. I mean, I think business casual will be the new formal as we go back to the workplace. History's taught us, like, you don't go backwards, you go forwards. So that was some of our conversation. I think the points that Deirdre has made show us that as women... As as silly as this may sound, it's kind of our role in history to be pushing those boundaries and really enabling future generations mm. to have a better go of it than we have in terms of comfort in the workplace. And remote work has given us the perfect opportunity to relax standards and question the status quo. Really what I'm arguing is not that you can never wear a suit or that you can never look good, but that you shouldn't have to in order to be judged competent by your coworkers, especially for groups that, you know, in the past have been essentially repressed via dress codes. Hmm. I agree with you 100 percent. We live in a patriarchal society that dictated the clothing of women and people of color since the dawn of time. But the thing is, if there's no dress code, there's still an implicit one. And it's guided by subjective ideas of what professional is. And professionalism has historically been defined by and for white heterosexual cis men. Scrapping the dress code policy isn't going to fix the problem of bias. And that bias implicitly and explicitly privileges whiteness and it discriminates against non-white, non-Western standards of professionalism. And it leads to Black employees being sent home from work 
because of the way they dress, even though their white male counterpart is wearing basically the same thing. And women with natural hairstyles not getting jobs. And so it becomes super ambiguous and really murky water. And it means that you end up guessing and really repressing what you would typically show up in. And so when you have this idea of, oh, we're going to eliminate all dress codes, you're really saying most people will be able to wear this. And by most, you mean the, the majority, which typically in many arenas are white men. But everyone else, you could try to do this, but you'll likely get reprimanded in some way. Mm. And so while we're trying to be a little bit more equitable, what we're really doing is moving the goalpost. And many women of color, people with disabilities, women, trans and non-binary people, and many others have been running this race and are walking on a tightrope. And now we're trying to change the game. Hmm. I think instead we need to have a dress code that levels the playing field for everyone. Mm. A simple, equitable dress code that doesn't put everyone in heels in a suit, but at least gets us out of our pajamas. If not just to reduce the ambiguity of quote-unquote appropriateness, but as a signal to those around us that we should all dress to do what we came to do, work. And by the way, legions of people worked remotely for years, and it was never acceptable for them to show up to a presentation in their jammies. <laughs> okay. So super powerful ending statement there, Dominique. Very personal ending statement there to Marin. Both of you have given me a lot to think about. And I got to tell you, I'm not proud of this, but I went into this debate thinking very selfish thoughts of like, oh, how does that affect me? How can I work as a, as a remote worker with pajamas on or off? Let me think about that. And I went into this debate pretty biased, thinking I am more comfortable and therefore more productive in pajamas. And that's all I got to care about. But Dominique, I did not think about all the different ways in which uh, other people may be receiving signals from what I'm wearing, um, for how I'm showing up and presenting to them. And especially as an Asian American woman, I really heard that study you brought and uh, immediately started thinking back to other meetings where I wasn't necessarily the most formal in the room and wondered whether or not that had an impact. Mm. However, to counter myself again. <laughs> of course. Marin, I really heard your last final statement and heard that if we wanted things to change, to Dominique's point in terms of what is the status quo for different people, Maybe I should wear pajamas and be seen as serious and be taken seriously. And perhaps that'll help change things up. So in a very personal, you know, very subjective opinion on what I want to do, I would like to continue being able to wear what some people deem as pajamas and change the very inequitable standards uh, as one person. Is that something that all of you should do? I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying for me... That is how I feel after this debate. And therefore, Marin, you are declared the winner of this debate. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Wow. Dominique, I will say, as a as a concession, I think I need to get some red lipstick to pair with my pajamas. <laughs> there you go. And then I will be equally as chic as you look right now. <laughs> I appreciate that. Honestly, well done, both of you. For anyone out there that wants to dig into the details of this episode, you can see the transcript and other relevant perspectives on work life at Atlassian.com slash work check. And until next time, 
This is WorkCheck, an original podcast from Atlassian. Okay, bye. <laughs> Thank you.